You're listening to audio from Christ Community Church in Fishers, Indiana. Our mission is to develop disciples of Jesus to impact the world. If you'd like to find out more information about us or donate to our ministry, please visit us at our website at cccfishers.org. Thanks for joining us. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. So when we left, when we left Saul or Paul... Uh, he was in Damascus, and so um, had recently come to know Jesus, and this is what happened, this is what happens next in, Saul, in Acts 19, or Acts 9, verse 19. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here? here to take them prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed there with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Uh, So that's what we're going to get into today. But before before we do, uh, it's not often in Scripture that you get to read more Scripture about the exact same thing. Uh, So just to provide a little bit more context, if you want to keep your finger here in Acts 9, and if you have your Bibles, flip over to Galatians chapter 1, uh, the second half of Galatians. This is, um, Paul actually writes this letter to the Galatians, and he gets pretty autobiographical for a variety of reasons. Um, but he actually tells us about this exact same timeline here. And so he provides a little bit more context here. So we're over in Galatians. Uh, we're going to go uh, starting at verse 11. Uh, chapter 1, verse 11, uh, goes right through the first verse of chapter 2. Uh, So this is Paul writing. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, 
how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult with any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me, before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, which is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Uh, there's a lot theologically that we could probably get into in, in that passage, but I really wanted to read it just for the, the, the expanded details of where Paul was, how, what he was doing. The fact that he spent this, these three years uh, between Arabia and Damascus and the, the section of Acts where he goes up to Jerusalem, it's written in Acts because the writers like to leave out the, the actual timeline sometimes and just put in the most important details, uh, but that there was this gap. And when he went there, um, when it talks about Barnabas taking him to the apostles, uh, he didn't go, he just saw the apostles, just two of them, not even all 10 or 12, however many. Um, I'm not a professional. Um, but uh, uh, he only saw Peter and James um, as, as the leaders of the church. And then he went away and he wasn't, um, I don't think I actually read uh, ver- the first part of uh, Galatians chapter 2 there, but it says that it wasn't for 14 more years after he went away, he met the apostles in the 14-year gap before he actually went and met with the churches there. Um, so there's a lot in these passages, uh, potentially, that we could talk about, but the, the one part that kept coming back to me that I kept just circling around was this part in the middle of Acts, in verse 26, uh, where it says that when Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. Um, and I guess I should say something here. This is kind of a, a weird passage. This is one of these times where I'm never sure if I should say Saul or Paul because the Acts, it says Saul the whole way through, and Paul, later he gets to be kind of renamed, and it's, it's interesting because it's kind of a, a, a liminal passage. Liminal is one of my fun new words I've learned this past year, uh, thanks to Mike Hoppy. It's a fancy word. Uh, and uh, it's really, uh, for a really simple concept, it just means like an in-between space. Uh, it's a space where something has happened, but it's not fully realized yet. And so in this passage, it's, it's, it's kind of in between because Paul has come to, come to Christ, but the people who, the, other, the Christians, the people he just persecuted, he literally just w- was going in the past chapter house to house, pulling these people out, dragging them before the chief priest, killing some, throwing some in prison. They've been hurt. <laughs> They're not sure what to do with this new thing that's happened. They're in this in-between space where they're still operating out of some of the old ways of acting. And they're not quite realizing the new way that's coming. Uh, there's lots of things. Uh, we're in kind of a big in-between space right now. Like Jesus has come and he's coming back. And we're kind of in this in-between stage. Um, and sometimes we're not sure totally how to act. Sometimes we act in the old way of before Jesus came. Sometimes we act in a new way of expecting Jesus to come back. There's lots of examples of this. Uh, but in-between times are, are really hard. Uh, the external changes can be really quick. 
but it can take a while to, to change the way that we've been acting about that. Um, so you might have stories like this uh, where there was someone who hurt you uh, and then there was a change externally and then you're still operating out of, wow, you just hurt me. I'm, I'm going to need some time. I'm going to need some space for this. Um, and this was uh, physical, da- uh, physical danger. Uh, much, it's, it can be kind of tricky to find these examples sometimes. We don't have a lot of them because much of our suburban life here is... Uh, is essentially designed around minimizing danger, even discomfort. And those two things, they're different, but they can feel the same to people who aren't used to either, which I'm not. Uh, and so I just put myself in, I, I would put that myself in that category pretty easily, not used to danger or discomfort. So as I was thinking about stories in my life where I kind of, where I saw myself and where I would identify with this, the church in Jerusalem who uh, was afraid, um, and afraid of physical danger. I didn't have many exam- all that many examples to choose from. Uh, and you'll have to forgive me because literally just the last time I spoke, I was telling a story of uh, when I was in China, and the story also involved me looking for food. So this is exactly one of those stories of me in China looking for food. Um, so uh, uh, I spent some time, a number of years in China, um, in what seems like a different life, a lifetime ago. Uh, but uh, early on in my experience, I had done a study abroad experience, and I stayed after um, my study abroad was completed. Uh, so I just did classes and, and the whole bit, as you might imagine, from somebody going on a study abroad experience. Um, I stayed after to do a missions trip. Uh, that's not something you advertise when you're actually there, by the way. Uh, it's, not, it's, uh, it's still frowned upon um, for a variety of reasons. Um, but I was, I was, ended up doing this missions trip and it was for this, uh, high school group. So I ended up being a, a college student staff. So I ended up discipling some of the high school guys who were on the trip. There were other adults there. We were doing, uh, English camps, uh, where we would teach English to other high school students. Um, and then use the relationships that we had there to share the gospel. Um, and so this was great. It was a, it was a multi-week project. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot, uh, and it was, it was very formative in my life. Um, but towards the end, uh, we had a day off. Uh, and so everybody else, all of the students, uh, they were off to uh, McDonald's and KFC. McDonald's for the hamburger, KFC for the ice cream, um, which is very important. Um, not to the story, but just in general. Uh, that you're aware, if you ever go to China, KFC is the place to get the ice cream. Don't go to McDonald's to get the ice cream. Go to McDonald's for the hamburger, KFC for the ice cream. Um, so... Um, after that aside, uh, but I decided that I was going to be uh, a little more adventurous. I wanted to go get some noodles. I'd been craving noodles, and all of the, all of the other Americans just wanted the American food, and I was like, I'm leaving soon. I really want to go uh, find some, some hand-pulled noodles um, for, before I go, and so, uh, so I did. I went looking. Uh, we weren't in the best area of town, uh, so it was a little bit run down, but I was like, that's, the, that's even better, right? The noodles are going to taste even better the dirtier they are. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I walked around, I turned the corner, and uh, at first I thought I'd stumbled upon a parade. Uh, the whole street was full of people. Uh, they were all much shorter than me, which was not uncommon. Uh, but what was uncommon was that they were all dressed in white. Um, and the best way I can think to describe it, I mean, obviously different cultural references, but these the people were in essentially uh, Ku Klux Klan outfits except without the face coverings. Like, their hat, their, they had these white robes on. They had white hats that kind of draped behind their, 
like pointy hats that kind of draped behind their uh, head. Uh, you could see their faces, though, and they had these scarves, that long white scarves, uh, with written in black ink, with Chinese characters up and down. I didn't know what they said. Um, and they were, um, there were songs, there were people saying things, and I thought it was kind of a parade. Everybody, there were normal people on the side of the road. I continued to, to walk along the sidewalk uh, looking for a restaurant. Uh, and, uh, but it didn't take very long for me to be I don't, the best way is like pushed, gathered, like the crowd like surrounded me. And I was moved towards the middle of the street. And I realized as police officers uh, swooped in almost that quickly that I was not in the middle of a parade. I was in the middle of a protest. Uh, for what? I don't know. But the police uh, huffled, hustled me off to the side. Uh, they were surprisingly strong. Um, but they, they hustled me off to the side and they took me into uh, a hotel, uh, which was more of a, a hostel. Hotel doesn't really describe it because it was uh, kind of a cinder block building and not uncommon to buildings in China. The first floor all had bars, so it, it felt more like a prison than an actual hotel. The police officers uh, then got a room key from the, uh, the receptionist and took me in to uh, a room, which had a cot, and it was a, it was a bare cement room. Uh, and proceeded to question me for the next two hours. Uh, they dumped out my bag. They looked at my phone. They grabbed my camera. I don't think I ever got it back. It was before digital, so they couldn't uh, confirm anything. And asked me why I was there. Uh, they asked me if I was a reporter. They asked me if I'd taken any pictures. They asked me who I knew there. They asked me what in the world I was doing in China and why I'd ended up in that part of town. I was terrified. Uh, I was, I was barely 21. Uh, I was like, I, all, all in the back of my mind, I'm like, I am not supposed to be here. This is not my thing. I don't even know what's going on. I'm literally looking for noodles. Um, and I don't want to be involved in this. Um, and also in the back of my mind, I don't want the high school students that I'm with, like either the Americans or the Chinese that I'm working with to get in trouble. I don't want the... the Americans and the Chinese who are there long-term doing ministry to get in trouble. I'm like, I could blow this all up just because I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And eventually, uh, after those two hours, they, they decided that uh, I was who I said I was. I had been there on a student visa. I was not connected to a reporter, like to anything that I was as clueless as I made out to be. I did a very good job of being, of uh, presenting myself that way. Uh, but... Uh, I, I went away, and I got, they sent me back to my hotel. They said, please walk straight back to your hotel, uh, and please don't come back to this part of town again. I'm like, okay, we're good. <laughs> I'm leaving. Uh, and as I was leaving, and so I, I walked away, and um, uh, I was walking a little ways. I was several blocks away from my hotel by this point. Um, I'd gone about a block, and um, as I was going away, uh, a woman came up to me. And it was a woman who had been involved in the protest. She didn't have her hat on, but she had her robe and her, her scarf with the Chinese characters written on it. And I was like, oh, okay. And she came up to me uh, and grabbed me. And didn't, she didn't have much English. But in very broken English, she pressed a piece of paper into my hand and said, please go to the newspaper. Please tell them what you've seen. And I had no idea what to do. I, 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 don't, I don't even remember what I said to her. But I just got away from the situation, and I'm standing there on the sidewalk holding this piece of paper. 
And the only thing I can think to do is rip up the piece of paper into as small pieces as I can and throw it in the first trash can I see, and I ran back to my hotel. I was terrified. I didn't know what would happen if I did something with that paper. And I think that in a lot of ways for the church in Jerusalem, Paul coming into town was like getting handed that piece of paper. They didn't know what was going to happen. They were being asked potentially to do something, and they had no idea what would would be the, the outcome. And they had a pretty similar response to what I had. They said, nope, I'm out. I don't, I don't, like, we've got some good things going here. We don't want to mess up. We don't want to rock the boat on that. Now I'm going to transition away from this. I never, just to answer the questions in your, that you may have on the story, I never got noodles. I still don't know what the protest was about. And I never uh, heard or saw about that situation again. Um, which I have a lot of those, a lot of similar questions now on what was actually going on. Um, but we can get into that situation too, like where we're afraid. And it, and it gets even harder when that fear of physical safety is surrounding a church setting or when that hurt comes in a church setting. Um, now, I want to uh, be really clear. There's, I know that there's lots of situations of, of real abuse and real trauma at church. And I think this was one of them for the church in Jerusalem. Like, this was a traumatic situation. Like, Paul had been literally going into people's homes and dragging them out. Uh, And I know that potentially people in this room and people watching are maybe not even exempt from that, that there are stories of of abuse and stories of trauma that that exist. Um, And I don't want to present myself as qualified to speak on every single situation. Uh, I'm really only here to speak on this particular text. But I want to recognize that the language of fear and safety in a church setting may activate some really deep things for some people here. Uh, and I, yeah, I don't want to present myself as qualified. I think I said that already. But looking back at the text, what are the things that we can learn about this? Like, what is this example? Because this is a common situation. This is an in-between time that God created and that he, uh, then his people had to respond to. Um, and so what can we learn from this? Um, so I think there's three primary things going on here. And I'll repeat these a lot of times if you're a note taker or if you don't take notes. The, the not, not taking notes is one of my things. So the repetition is helpful for me. But the first thing uh, is that God works in spite of fear. Now this, this is a little bit obvious uh, and going with the theme of this whole section, like the unexpected things that God works, these in-between times that God creates. But Paul was very unexpected. And it only seems obvious to us now because we know the rest of the story. But this was very much a Darth Vader saying, I am your father kind of plot twist for the early Christians. Uh, and before I lose everyone with that, uh, going back, but this was, this was a full-on uh, betrayal uh, of, and a poten- potential betrayal uh, on Paul's part. Um, I was reading, Nate was sharing some of the, the commentaries he was using as I was preparing for, for a little bit of this, and the guy he always quotes, who I, who I, I found very, uh, very helpful, um, Willie James Jennings, um, really talked about this, like Paul is a betrayer in this passage, and how he, he literally took this job from the chief priest to go up, and not only did he not follow through on his job, he joined the other side. So he's already not welcome with this, but then the, 
the, also there's the potential of betrayal for the, um, the, the church in Jerusalem. Uh, they're like, he, this is just a plot to get us to, to get so he knows more people and we're not going to welcome him in and create an unsafe situation for the other people here. But, um, but that's, that's one of the things. That, so the first thing is that God works in spite of our fear, but God was still working there. God was still doing something. God still had a plan. In Galatians, Paul talks about that God had a plan from his mother's womb to do this. Um, so big picture stuff, lots of big picture stuff going on there. Second, some leaders were called to step out in faith in a scary situation. But most other believers were not immediately asked to. I think for me, that was one of the most helpful things as I was processing this passage, that a lot of times it can feel like if there's repentance, and, and some of the language we use in church can be used to, to gloss over uh, in this in-between phase to try and hurry people to the next thing. This passage doesn't necessarily do that. Um, before I get into that, so, so some leaders did do some stuff. So Barnabas goes out and gets Paul. Uh, and he does everything Ananias did, except the scary version. He does it without a direct word from the Lord. But everything that Nate preached on last week about Ananias uh, is, is valid for uh, Barnabas, too. He goes out, he gets Paul, he's, he's, a, he's potentially afraid of him, but he's gonna step, he takes a step out in faith without the vision. Uh, and he did it for the express purpose of seeing if he could bring Paul to the church. Now, Paul tells us in Galatians that he only met with two apostles, uh, Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, but the, general, the fear of the church there didn't end up being an obstacle to how God was working. But the fear of everybody else, it, and Galatians, Paul says he just met with these two guys, but then he didn't actually know, he, didn't, he wasn't personally known to the churches in Judea, um, when he was on that visit three years after he came to faith. It wasn't until 14 years after that fact, so 17 years after he came to faith, that he was personally known in the Council of Jerusalem. This is going to happen in Acts 15, way down the road. Uh, but 17 years later, the fear of the church in Jerusalem is not specifically rebuked here. In fact, the leaders of that church create space create a, space, a, a safe space, if you will, for the natural emotional responses of these people to process and for healing to happen uh, and safety to, to, to happen there. Um, you don't have to get over your fear right away if you've been hurt. I feel like we say this sometimes, but it's really true. Repentance by an enemy or an abuser or by something else doesn't doesn't equal trust. Uh, most of us know that. So it was this long period of time uh, before most of the people in the church saw him. And speaking as, uh, as an elder, I won't, I'll just speak for myself. I won't speak for the other elders because I didn't ask them about this. Uh, so I, ho- I would hope so. But we want to be these kind of leaders too for, this, for our church. We want to be the Barnabases. We want to be going out and stepping out in faith in hard situations where we see maybe a change has happened. Maybe God is doing a new thing. We want to be the ones to step out in faith and to go into that situation and say, and to start evaluating, is God doing a new thing here? 
but we also want to be leaders like Paul, like Peter and James were in creating a space and not necessarily platforming Paul right away and having him the next Sunday come in and say like, hey, here's my testimony now. I was on the road to Damascus. I met Jesus and now I'm, now I'm part of the church and now I'm preaching. Um, they didn't do that. They created, they, they protected the community there by meeting with Paul by themselves and not necessarily platforming him right away. There was that time that they gave for that healing to happen and to see uh, true fruits of repentance over the course of literally decades. Um, So first, God works in spite of fear. Second, some believers are called to step out in faith in in the scary situations, but not everybody. Third, I think we need to be open to God redeeming and bringing good out of situations that we're afraid of, past situations of hurt. This is a little bit more vague, and I was trying to think of ways to kind of explain this, but I think it's quite common to be wary of giving, se- giving second chances. And the safe space that we create can, like this way we, we want to protect ourselves from people who have hurt us in the past, can harden. Our hearts can harden toward those people. And the safety that we create can we want to have that forever and always and we want it to look the same way moving forward we don't so if someone's hurt me i'm like great i'm done like god can work with them he can god can work through them with other people uh but he's not going to work through him with me uh but in acts i think that there's a little bit of an antidote that's in acts or in Acts and the Galatians passage today. At the end of the Acts passage, it talks about how the church enjoyed a period of peace. In the end of our Galatians passage, Paul says that the church in Judea praised God for what the reports were that they heard him doing. Uh, Fear and hurt doesn't and shouldn't exclude this praise, but it can so often. And the praising of God for the good that's happening uh, from hard situations can, can keep our hearts soft and can keep our hands open towards what God might want to do in the future. Um, so I don't want to discount everything I just said about the second point, about leaders creating safe space for that, but just to, just, I think that there's something here, and I'm not quite sure how to articulate it, but the attitude from the Jerusalem church combined with these 17 years uh, of time and space, but even if you're not being called to immediately step into your scary relational situations or places where you've been hurt, and it, whether it's in a church setting or outside of that, uh, maybe if you're not being called to do that right now, just be open-handed with that. Just be curious about what God might do with it in the future, um, I think is really what I'd like to say. So that's the three basic ideas, uh, that God works in spite of our fear. God works in hard situ- in, in these situations. Um, God creates these in-between times. He moves in unexpected ways all the time. And we are left, just like the church in Jerusalem, catching our breath and trying to keep up in a lot of ways of what God is doing. And it's, it can be head spinning sometimes, especially when God moves in a way that is redeeming or reconciling ways in which you've been deeply hurt or wounded. Um, he is just constantly creating those spaces. Um, and our old ways of relating to a person or a situation need some time to catch up. And so this can be tricky, I know, uh, but we can still step out in faith and we can still create space 
for those who aren't ready to step into those new ways yet. Um, and we can be open-handed and we can expect God to redeem and reconcile all things because that's really at the end of the day what he's promised to do is to reconcile everything to himself. And so all of this stuff, all of these hurt things, all of the places where we feel unsafe, even our, even our discomfort now, all of it will be reconciled and redeemed because that's what he's promised to do. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. You're a redeemer. You're a reconciler. And thank you that you have called us to a ministry of reconciliation. I pray that we would be about that. I pray that we would be expectant, that we would be looking for ways to reconcile, that we would be eager to reconcile. I pray that we would also be conscious that there might be spaces where the reconciliation takes time, even decades, but that even in that time, we would not allow our hearts to be hardened, that we would be, we would be with you, that we would be looking for you to do good things and to bring good out of situations where there's been fear, where there's been hurt, where there's been pain. We love you and we trust you, Lord. In your name, amen.